Second and third, one out in the second and didn't score. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run, and the Cardinals have won the game. Welcome to the score. Here's your host, Brett Wiseman. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Saturday morning edition of The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman joined by Michael Davis, Will Higdon, and Christian Emery on with us as well this morning. Garrett Davenport joining us later on in the program. Christian, we're going to start things off here on the ice. Uh, The Hurricanes surpassing the 5-0-0 start that they had uh, a couple of years ago in 1920, um, uh, the pandemic year, of course, that was cut short. Um, and then they lost in the playoffs in the bubble to uh, the Boston Bruins. But 6-0-0 now. Um, for the first time in NHL history, four teams started 5-0-0. and um, St. Louis suffered their first defeat to Colorado the other night, but... Uh, the Panthers uh, still sit undefeated. Uh, Sands, their head coach, we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, tell the folks at home who are maybe diehard Canes fans, I'm sure already know. You know, and we talked about it. How good the potential of this that this team had uh, to be this good. Um, and and to me, and, and Will and I talked about it last week. Uh, the the key that I'm seeing is that. There's finally a goaltender that, when need be, can stand on his head. You know, not not that you want that, but that you have that in your back pocket when you need it. That that's a big key for me. Plus, I mean, this team is just loaded with talent, and uh, I, I think a start this good. I'm not going to say it was inevitable. I'm not going to say I expected it to be quite this good, but it's it's not a shock to anybody. Yeah, I mean it's. If you ask me personally, I thought, okay, there's potential for this. That there's potential on this team for a start, a good start, given the schedule that they've played so far. Granted, their toughest two games have been their first game against New York and their most recent game against Boston. Well, so I thought against Boston anyway. Um, but I didn't expect them to start six and zero because as a Hurricanes fan, you always have that in the back of your mind. Okay, we can do something historic here. How are we going to blow it? But apparently last night, Fred Anderson uh, decided, oh, okay, I'm going to shut Decided he was going to shut out Boston somehow. And the young guns for the Hurricanes, as they've done the past four years that Rod Brindamore has been the head coach, they've taken over the games when they needed to, and they've really carried the team and – we're seeing the 
I think we're finally seeing the fruits of that labor pay off. Uh, 100%. And, you know, you talked about Frederick Anderson. Not that any of the goalies in the past didn't have the potential of the capability to, to shut out an, an offensive, you know, powerhouse in the Boston Bruins. But, like I said, you have someone in Frederick Anderson and, and Ranta as well that have the ability to, when it comes down to it, take over the game. And that's something that was missing with, with a Reimer, with a Mrazek, with a Nadelkovich was, yeah, they were really, really good goaltenders, but that, that next level, so to speak, wasn't there to take over the game when it was needed. Oh, yeah, it really wasn't. I mean, if you look at, I mean, if Mrazek was, Mrazek's main problem was he was just a very, for lack of a better word, a streaky goaltender when he was on, he was on when he, had took some took a game off or he was uh, a coin run. toss he was a coin toss yeah pretty really much inconsistent inconsistent's the right word yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I, I mean there's that component to it I mean look at how Kakademi has played uh since he came over on the on the offer sheet uh he and Aho seem to be meshing really really well um you look at the guys up and down this roster Jesper Faust has finally come into his own, um, has become the player that, that Christian, that you and I always talked about, uh, him having the potential to be even before uh, the shortened year last year started. Um, this is a team that that has that, that difference, that X factor of they can roll all four lines at you and there's never, there's never, you can't take a second off as the opponent. Yeah, I mean, they can all pretty much pick up the slack if another line is uh, struggling, but you haven't really seen that. Each line has been able to, I don't want to say, well, yeah, each line has been able to produce at a big point so far in the season when they really needed it. I mean, look at the game against, um, there have been a couple of times this year where they've trailed, where they needed a big goal, and sure enough, they've, various lines have been able to, um, to, step up and then even if you don't have the the offense going one night that defense is i've not seen a hurricanes team with this amount of physical pressure in a while and that's most and you can tell it's bugging teams that usually think they can just skid around the hurricanes won't do much defensively yeah i mean you talk about the decor that's like if if we have three keys to the success we talked about two of them we talked about the offensive outlet. We talked about the goaltending. It it's that third key is the decor, but it it's twofold, right? It's yeah, they're really good defensively, but holding that blue line offensively, sustaining pressure, guys like Slavin uh, and and the rest of the the crew there on on the on that six man decor. I, I think top five in the league, not just in terms of their efficiency defensively, but their ability to, and that that's how Washington and St. Louis won the cup in 18 and 19. That's how Tampa Bay has won the last two cups because they get their decor involved, not offensively, not just in, in, in the shots on goal category, but just sustaining the pressure, holding it in and cycling it back around and wearing the opponent down. Yeah. And I think, I think the, how do I want to word this? I think the, subtraction of Dougie Hamilton and the addition of his replacement that not a lot of people in Raleigh were fans of, but that's, I think that's 
done now. Um, well, yeah, that's done because he's proven he could play, and that yeah, was the exactly. only thing. Because you know, even down the stretch um, of his time in uh, in New York, he w- he was not the same guy that we saw early on, and he looks now a lot like the guy he looked like in, in the fall of in the fall slash winter of twenty nineteen. Yeah, I mean, he's. I think he has one goal and five assists to this point, and that's. For a defenseman that is supposedly not going to be a top-tier defensive player for this team, you can't really ask for much more than that. No, you can't. And and I, I think, you know, losing, yeah, losing Dougie Hamilton was not ideal. But yeah. you, you bring in, you know, a supplementary piece, if anything else, to the already stacked decor that you had. Tony D'Angelo on, on that last pairing kind of just, you know, he – he rounds things out, so to speak, because that was one thing. That was one thing he was very, very good at with the Rangers was sustaining that pressure. And when he comes into a team where that is 100%, the mindset fits right in. Yeah, he definitely does. I mean, he opened the scoring yesterday against, uh, uh, against Boston with a shot from the point that really, I didn't, I thought it got deflected, but yeah, he, took a shot from the point that flew by uh, Slayman or whatever Boston's goaltender is. So he's, he's contributing in the, the, in the same way they wanted Hamilton to contribute at times. So it's working out despite some of the obvious off the ice stuff that fans were a little hesitant about the signing. Speaking of off the ice stuff, um, the Chicago Blackhawks, there's a lot to unpack there. If you missed it, the uh, findings of that independent investigation into the uh, uh, sexual assault allegations from the cup year of 2010, um, John Doe revealed himself as Kyle Beach uh, and gave a very candid and emotional and, and frankly a little difficult to watch uh, interview with TSN a couple hours after the Blackhawks held a press conference to reveal the findings of that investigation, which that full report is available to the public um, from that independent law firm. And it's, if you want to read it, I won't stop you, but I warn you that A, it's long, B, there's some pretty graphic stuff in there. And um, all credit to Kyle Beach for coming forward, but Christian, before we get to uh, the, the fallout of, of the personnel, um, just the sheer catastrophic behavior of everybody involved before we get to individuals to discuss here. Um, you know, the, the mindset of, of everybody there was, okay, we don't want to mess up the culture of this team during a cup run. Kyle Beach was a part of what was known as the Black Aces which were basically a taxi squad when there wasn't supposed to be one. Um, a traveling group of 10 to 12 AHL guys um, and uh, the video coach uh, who the Blackhawks, as of this morning, have asked the Hockey Hall of Fame to have his name removed from the Stanley Cup as a result of... Kyle Beach was not the only one. There were more that just have not come forward. Uh, and as you know, everybody knows, with a person like that, there's always more than one, unfortunately. Uh, but just the catastrophic behavior of everybody involved and 
you know, we don't want to disturb team culture. And uh, people are saying, yeah, that's hockey culture. That's th- There's a good and a bad side to hockey culture. When things like that happen, as rare as they are, and at the point in the year when it happened, the importance of it gets thrown to the shed, thrown aside until the season's over. And when you looked at that report, nobody said anything until mid-June, and it was brought to the attention of Stan Bowman, the GM, in mid-May, or late May, after the Blackhawks won the Western Conference to go to the Cup Final. That's the bad side of hockey culture, and that's the side that we've been, everybody in the game has been trying to get out of the game, and this is a prime example of why we can't have it. Yeah, I mean, when I first read this, I was just kind of, I don't, I don't even know how to describe what I, what, how to describe what I, how I reacted. It was just kind of. And look, as a Blues fan, we know how I feel about the Blackhawks. This goes beyond. Yeah, exactly. This goes beyond on the ice rivalry kind of stuff. This is not a, look, I'm enjoying the start that the Blackhawks are having because it's not a good one, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a second too. But you know, this didn't even just stop in the walls of the Blackhawks facility. Joe Quenville, who was the head coach then, knew about this and was told about it, had at least two meetings during the cup final and chose not to tell the team and not tell anyone else about it as to not disrupt the culture until after the season was over. A day after that report came out, he was behind the bench with the Florida Panthers and then Thursday... Uh, He met with Commissioner Gary Bettman and ultimately chose to resign. Stan Bowman resigned about 30 seconds into the press conference that the Blackhawks had to announce the findings of that report. So now, no executive, no coach, no staff member other than the ownership group from 2010 and from that cup dynasty, so to speak, are left. That's almost all been squashed and... That's that's honestly a good thing. There's no reason Joel Quinville should have been behind an NHL bench after everybody read that report and found out what he did to not only not say anything about it, but keep it under wraps and cover it up until after the season was over. Yeah, I mean, this is all just... I don't know. This is just a lot of stuff that you don't... You know it. Ha- we know it happens. Unfortunately, it's just part of it's part it's part of that bad that bad side of hockey culture and that's the side that we people like you and me and everybody involved in the game want to get out uh, of the game and and a a person like brad aldrich he's look he did what he did and it was wrong and criminal and when we saw kyle beach's interview and he got emotional at the end of it, yeah, that was hard to watch. And the Blackhawks, as I said, have now sent a letter to the Hockey Hall of Fame to have Aldrich's name removed from the Stanley Cup. You know that that you know. And one final thing on it: none of this changes what happened. It doesn't eliminate any of it. Kyle Beach said that himself. You know, he's glad that all these steps are being taken finally, but his battle is just beginning, as he put it. And he's absolutely right. You know this. Yeah, he is. That's you know the trauma of that is something that he's going to have to live with for 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 some time to come. Um, as we look at the rest of the league, Christian, very quickly, 
Uh, Ovechkin's approaching Brett Hull's portion on the all-time goals list. I don't think it's inevitable to say that he could potentially get to Gretzky's mark, but I think once you get past Brett Hull, you could really start thinking about it because you and I had talked about that even you know a couple of years ago that, okay, if he gets to fourth all-time, then we really got to start having the discussion, right? Yeah. I mean, I, it's just he... The way he's been playing the last, his entire career is, he's like a, he's like a machine that has no off switch that can automate that can go he, off. He's, he's to put this in perspective for people that might be only casual hockey fans. Ovechkin is like the Tom Brady of the NHL right now in that he's not aging; he's almost getting better as he's getting older. Exactly. Yeah, I just, yeah. he's he's a Russian machine. <laughs> yep, which is appropriately because the ESPN commercial they did, but um, a while back, That's actually. Exactly where I was going with that, so I'm glad you knew that. <laughs> yeah, but he, the guys, I mean, you could tell from an early age that he was going to be special. Did I think he'd approach Gretzky's record? No, not. Nobody thought anyone would, but, you know, then yeah. again, nobody thought anyone would approach Hank Aaron's record in, in home runs, or, you know, there, there's always records that seem unbreakable uh the touchdown pass record nobody thought anybody would get past dan marino and now four people have since 2007 so i mean records are as we know how the saying goes records are meant to be broken and i i don't think there's anyone more deserving to break gretzky's goal record than alex ovechkin one more thing christian before we let you go speaking of casual fans um for those that might be just getting into hockey as a result of uh, the ESPN and the TNT exposure, which they've been doing a tremendous job of growing the game with their presentation uh, so far into their new media rights deals. Um, tell the folks at home that might be casual fans or, or not even fans at all yet, why they ought to jump on the hurricanes bandwagon while there's still space. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, jump on. I mean, the, this is not the, hurricanes team that was that has existed for most of my life unfortunately yes they've had severe playoff droughts they've been quite frankly they've been cellar dwellers they've been bad but let me say this this is not the team that i went to see in 2016 play the blues the day eric stahl was traded and the staff and the elevators were like crying because they knew how bad this team was (laughs) yeah yeah they've come a long way yeah, they definitely have, and I think that's part of – I mean, since Rod Brindamore took over the head coach and Tom Dundon – well, more more so Roddy taking over, they just – there's been a there's been a shift in terms of, like, attitude. There's been a shift in terms of play, and it's starting to reflect because when I went to the – I was at game one against uh, Nashville last year after the uh, – or no, yeah, game one against Nashville in Raleigh against Nashville after um, when the NHL allowed fans to be in the series, there were limited to about 12,000, give or take, fans. And it sounded like there were 24,000 people in that stadium. That's how loud and passionate this fan base is. And you can't really say that about many fan bases in the NHL, that you can get 12,000 people to sound twice as loud as what is in that building right now or at that point. And that's continues to happen. I mean, they were coined the loudest house in the NHL, and quite frankly, they're 
living up to that moniker at this point. 100%. Christian Emery, thanks so much for coming on and joining us and uh, talking some hockey. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. When we come back, we'll dive into the NFL and the world of college football next here on The Score. Stick around. Back here on The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman joined by Will Higdon, Michael Davis, Garrett Davenport will be joining us in just moments. Fellas, as we dive into uh, what was a pretty eventful uh, Week 7 in the NFL, only two or three, I guess you could say, marquee matchups. Um, two or three marquee matchups, I guess you could say. Um in the NFL this week, but let's talk about those Cincinnati Bengals first because we talked about that last week being "quote unquote" the game of the day. Um, that was one heck of a statement from from Joe Burrow and company to go into uh, the two time reigning kings of that division, assume the lead, and do so in dominant fashion. Yeah, absolutely. Again, Brett, thanks for having me on the show, and I'm really impressed with Cincinnati and. We knew Joe Burrow was special, and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are just having like a genuine connection from their LSU days, and that was a big win against Baltimore for sure. And I'm I'm expecting Cincinnati to win the division, but we're going to really see over the next few weeks uh, after their Jets game this week um, how special this team is um, because their schedule does not – favor them at all uh, the second half of the season. Yeah, it, it does get tougher, and you said it. Burrow and Jamar Chase have not missed one single beat. It's almost like no time went by since uh, since they were at LSU. I mean, they, they just picked right up where they left off in college. Yeah, I really wish I had picked Jamar Chase on my fantasy football team, but I didn't see this one coming. <laughs> No, everybody called me an idiot for drafting him because it was, oh, he's uh, drop chase. Uh, okay, that was the preseason. Um, now look at me. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how uh, they go in the second half, you know, because they have the Raiders. Uh, they'll have the Browns twice. They'll have the Steelers. They'll have the Ravens again, uh, Chargers, the Chiefs. They have the Chiefs layer in the season, which I feel the Chiefs will probably pick up their game by then. So we'll see how well this team does, but I'm expecting them to win the division. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and I think, as we kind of discussed pre-show, I think it is time to start acknowledging the Bengals as a threat, whether it's to win the division or not, but they'll 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 get in. They'll get into the playoffs, whether it's as the division winner or the wild card. Um, I, I think it's it's time that if anybody was still holding serve or the jury was still out on the Bengals, it's it's time to start realizing this team is is legitimately good. Fred, Fred, I got I got a question for you for you, sir. Garrett Davenport here. Yes, hello, Garrett from the great state of Missouri. Thank you, thank you for having me, man. First and foremost, is it is it time to start thinking that Joe Burrow is in elite company? <laughs> elite company, elite company. Elite company? I think so. Says the Justin Herbert stand? I oh well Justin Herbert 
first of all, if you want me to be completely biased for a second, I think he's front runner for the MVP, but that's also bias talking right there. But for the soon to be St. Louis Chargers. Well, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I might have to must stay around for a little bit if that does happen. Yeah, uh, law, lawsuit pending. Uh, uh, Stan kroenke has got a lot to deal with in uh, St. Louis County Court uh, because uh, as far as I know, the uh, ex-Rams uh, executives in the city of St. Louis have the NFL on the ropes, uh, but that's a different story for a different time. Um, I don't know about Elite Company, I, I would put him in, in Tier 2 right now. He's in the Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, Young Gun tier. Let me put it that way. There's the Rodgers, Brady, uh, you know, Will, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, the established tier. Mahomes in there as well, even though he's not playing like it, which we'll get to in a second. And then there's that Young Gun Tier 2, and then there's everybody else. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I, looking at Burrow right now, I mean, man's balling out. Uh, you know, a little loose with the football with 18 intercept. I mean, not 18, excuse me, eight interceptions, but 17 touchdowns. Again, you guys uh, hit on the Jamar Chase stuff. I mean, they've had what a connection they've had. This These Bengals are legit as, I mean, I'm sure you guys already hit on, but I really like this Bengals team. I got a Bengals fan that I work with and I know he's excited about it, but I'm really interested to see where this team can go and how far Joe Burrow can take them. And uh, also, you know, don't sleep on Joe Mixon. He's having a great season for them as well. He's, you know, third in the league in rushing yards. Uwe Lagale, the tight ends, having a real good year for them as well. You know, it's not just Jamar Chase. They've got weapons all over the place. They, Yeah, you're right. They got weapons everywhere. So, don't sleep on the Bengals. It's been a long time since the entire state of Ohio, including Cleveland and the Browns fans, have been this excited about professional football and not just cared about Ohio State and everyone in the MAC. It's been a very long time since they could be excited about both both levels of football. Uh, something that was not exciting for us here in the state of North Carolina was the Carolina Panthers forgetting to get off the plane in Newark uh, and putting up a measly five points uh, in that uh, in that game against the Giants. Uh, three points. Three points. Sorry, I got him confused yeah. with the Texans. Also, that <laughs> Texans game was a scoregami. Back-to-back weeks, we had scoregami. That's never happened in my lifetime. In this house, we root for scoregami. In this house, we root for scoregami, Garrett. Thank you. You're welcome. Michael had no idea what that was. I had to explain the concept to him. And you just go on Twitter. Not it's all fair. Over. It's all over Twitter. This will now be called the Score Igami on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. We're we're officially rebranding as of this very moment. Well, great. We'll get the graphics team on it. Uh, the graphics team would be uh, me. So I'll get I'll get cracking on my. Uh, I'll try and bootleg Photoshop later because I can't afford Creative Cloud right now. Anyways. Uh, Sam Darnold looked a lot like he did the last time he played in that stadium permanently. Granted, it was painted green instead of blue, and he was wearing green instead of blue. But that that looked like New York Sam Darnold uh, on Sunday. Yeah, I think Sam has really regressed these past few weeks. I don't know what it is. Is it McCaffrey? Was it his connection to Dan? I blame Terry Bradshaw because before the Cowboys game, Terry Bradshaw said, I think Charlotte has found its best quarterback ever. First of all, he said Charlotte, not Carolina. So that was an automatic, oh God, there's a red flag. (laughs) Number two, that's a blasphemous statement because Terry Collins still exists. 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, okay. Cam's still at the top for me. When it Jake DeLome also still exists. He's still alive. But the OG, <laughs> Jake DeLome. Del Homie, yeah. Del Homie, the, the, man. the one and only top alumnus of Louisiana Lafayette University. Man. And you know what? I got a bold take for this one. You know, I, I really think Carolina started off a little overrated. That 3-0 and start was great. But look, they played against New York, where they barely won. They play against Houston, uh, who's terrible without Tyrod Taylor. And then New Orleans, where you don't know what kind of Jameis Winston you're going to get. They played against a great Dallas offense. And I guess... They got know, the Jameis Winston pre-LASIK surgery. This is exactly. who they got. And, you know, looking, they played a, a tough Dallas team. Uh, they played Philadelphia really close, and that's really where they're at. They're, they're, they're in Philadelphia territory with that kind of team. That's, that's probably their best benchmark right there. And, again, Minnesota went into overtime. It was definitely a, a, a close game. But yeah, and that was a winnable game. And like we said, for Sam Darnold to have that Herculean effort to bring him back, uh, it was almost like that uh, derailed his confidence going into the game against the Giants, and then the whole team forgot to show up. But also, yeah, the the, the loss of Christian McCaffrey is definitely hurting them, and Robbie Anderson hasn't stepped up. I don't know where he's at. He hasn't played football, and really, it's hard giving DJ more the football because he's really the only receiver that's been doing anything. But yeah, they need it. Just they just need to get healthy, and they need Christian McCaffrey back as quickly as possible. And the good news is they should get Stefan Gilmore back uh, this week um, as he's finally eligible as we get into week eight um, to be off the pup list. So hopefully he does come off the pup list as planned and he does play. Um, they need it this week. So yeah, they, they need it. They need that. They need that veteran presence, not only in the locker room like he has been, but they need that veteran presence on the field. Well, if you're looking, like, they've dropped four straight. They're three and four. They're last in the division, and they play the division rival Atlanta Falcons on the road. And that Giants loss was unacceptable. That was embarrassing. They got embarrassed. We we can look at the Cowboys game and be like, the Cowboys are a good team. They lost by eight. The Eagles, it was a close game. They lost by three. The Vikings, they went to overtime and lost to a touchdown. But the Giants – you know, we're talking about the Panthers getting healthy. The you, Giants, you, you can't get blown out by the Giants. <laughs> the the Panthers, whether they're healthy, healthy or not, healthy. you can't get blown out by the Giants. I'm sorry, it just it can't happen. The you Giants, know, if Daniel Jones gets a one hand snag like he's Randy Moss, I think it's time to sell the franchise at that point. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to take a knee. This the game's yep. over. <laughs> yep, it's time to wave the white flag. Right, Dato Jones is out here mossing people. All right, let's let's just get back on the plate and go. We're done. This is over. Um, Michael, I understand that, uh, especially when it comes to that Chiefs-Titans game, which, speaking of statements, uh, we talked about the Chiefs' regression. Uh, that continued. Uh, the Titans went in there and proved that, yeah, they're still the team to beat the AFC South, but also a uh, contender in the AFC. Uh, I understand you have some... Um, factoids Factoids. on a couple of those games from us. Factoids, yes. So I was so impressed with your research last week and finding these little factoids. And so I went digging for some of my own. Yeah, he did my job for me this week. You're you're welcome. Anytime. Um, 
But yeah, after that game, that is the worst loss of Patty's career. Um, they crushed them 27-3. It was 27 nothing at half. And Garrett, you as somebody who's in the AFC West fan-wise, I don't think I've ever seen Mahomes play that bad. Yeah, I mean, he no. was awful. It was as a Chargers fan, it was exciting <laughs> to, <laughs> to see him play that because it's just it's like it never happens. You know, it's like seeing a unicorn in the forest. You know, it's just like this is something that does not happen to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And you know, I have my own takes on why the Chiefs have been playing so bad. And well, first of all, it starts with the defense. They you know, dig themselves in their own holes. And then, you know, you got Patrick Mahomes having to dig them out. And it's it's very difficult for the Chiefs to have to do that. And again, you know. And that's that's a, that's a problem they have not had ever while Mahomes has been the starter. And to be fair, you know, their offensive line, brand spanking new. I mean, this is not the same offensive line that they had in the Super Bowl. Which It's basically just a hodgepodge of guys, and that's – Mahomes is having to run for his life back there. And, uh, Michael, um, yes. I understand you have more factoids. Yeah, that factoid. Um, the Chiefs have not been held to single digits since November 2017. And we just got done talking about this team. Uh, that was a November overtime loss at the New York Giants 12-9. to so this is when Alex Smith was the quarterback. Um, this was this was before Mahomes. So that was a long time ago in a, a galaxy far, ago. far away, is what it feels like. Four years—that's a presidency. Yeah, it is. Good to know. Um, was on Sports Reference, going crazy. <laughs> you mean you mean Football Reference? Football Reference, yeah. Yeah, you know. it narrows down by sport. I spend a lot of time on there because I'm a nerd and I'm bored all the time. But um, let's move ahead to, to week eight here. Um, I want to know literally what on how on God's green earth the Green Bay Packers went in down three defensive starters, their three best wide receivers, their defensive coordinator, their two best offensive linemen, and went in and beat the last remaining undefeated team in the NFL. How in the world did we pull that off? Can I just refer back to what I said last week when everyone was saying Arizona is the best team in the NFL? And I was like, wait, wait till they play the Packers. And yeah, uh, we, we, we did question Michael a little bit on that. And of course, I'm biased and I'm going to say, yes, we beat Arizona. Therefore, we are now the best team. But we haven't even gotten to the toughest part of our schedule yet. We still got to play the rest of the AFC North. So... We still got to play the Ravens, and we got to play the Chiefs on the road. That's still going to be tough. Uh, there's there's still tough ones coming. So we haven't even gotten to the quote unquote toughest part of our schedule yet. So, uh, and by the way, I'm going to say we. And some people are going to get to me on that. James Jackson is the name. He hates that, but uh, he's going to deal with it anyways. He was with me at that concert that I talked about last week that made me miss the game. Um, yeah. I did get back to my vehicle for the fourth quarter, so. Uh, Got to say, uh, or got to see uh, AJ Green's controller disconnect on the last play. Yeah, apparently I was reading something about that on online this morning. Apparently, Kyler Murray had called an audible at the line of scrimmage, and AJ Green just didn't hear it at all. 
So he went. He thought they were running a whole totally different play. He thought uh, apparently he thought they were running the ball because he <laughs> was just straight blocking. Yeah, and then when Sol Douglas just turned around, just picked it right off and got his feet down. By the way, in in case no one, uh, Roger said this after the game, and a few other people did. Rasul Douglas, former Carolina Panther, I might add, um, who made the interception, was on the Arizona Cardinals practice squad and went from the Cardinals practice squad to sealing, knocking off them as the last unbeaten team in the NFL in a span of 22 days. It's like poetry. It rhymes. You, 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 <laughs> You can't make this stuff up. It writes itself. Uh, you know, the guy that made the pick was with him four weeks ago. So um, there you go. You, you, you can't, you simply can't make this stuff up. And, you know, the the one thing that needed to happen for the Packers to even have a chance without their top three receivers was they had, they had to get the run game going. And that's the best I've seen Green Bay run the ball in pro- probably all year. And you finally saw the two-headed monster of Dylan and Jones be exactly that. Yeah. Would you believe me if I told you that they didn't even have a hundred yards, like individual? Like no, Dylan I mean, and Jones are working together. Look, look, look at the. I mean, even then, look at the the ball distribution for Rodgers. I mean, he threw. You know, 12 passes to running backs, 12 passes to receivers, 10 passes to tight ends, um, even with losing Robert Tunyon, which might prove to be costly later on in the year. But uh, DeGuara filled in nicely at tight end. I mean, he's throwing the ball to uh, Ja'Shawn Winfrey out here who nobody heard of. He hadn't even been targeted since the preseason when Kurt Benkert was out there throwing him the football. I mean, Amari Rogers, they got him involved. Uh, a lot of people here probably know who that is. He just didn't have a spot up on the depth chart until now. They found a way to get him involved in the return game and uh, in the passing game on some little flip sweep things. And Matt LaFleur called a great game play calling wise for as shorthanded as they were, including the offensive line. I mean, he found ways to get guys the ball in ways I, I haven't seen. And I, I, I will say that's the best win of Matt LaFleur's career. Um, he uh, here's a factoid um, surpasses Don Shula for the most wins in his first 40 NFL games. So when you break a record that Don Shula had, you're in pretty darn good company. So that's uh, that's something to be proud of right there, and something to be proud of for that team as well to go in there and do what they did in a game that you know with all the injuries and the the COVID protocols and all that. Didn't nobody thought they had a chance in? Uh, looking ahead to the rest of the slate here, um, in week eight, we'll wait until Garrett hops back in so he can talk to us about this Patriots Chargers game. That's sure to be a good one. Um, the game of the day, I think, without a doubt, is going to be that Bucks Saints game, uh, mm. in, in the late window. You know, uh, Panthers have the Falcons, as we talked about, um, Steelers Browns. Could be a good one. Titans Colts also could be a good one uh, early on. But uh, the two games I'm watching are that Pats Chargers game and that Bucks Saints game, and then the Cowboy Viking game on SNF. Yeah, I, I think I know we're waiting on Garrett, but 
I think that Patriots Chargers game is going to be the bear game over the Bucks Saints. I I have this feeling that the Saints are going to get dismantled by Tom Brady and Bruce Arians. They struggled against the Seahawks this past week, who, by the way, a little factoid for you, Seattle just isn't the same without Russ. And this is their first time starting 0-3 at home since 1996 at the Kingdom. At the Kingdom! And that that place was demolished in 2000. Before they blew it up. <laughs> so um, maybe they need to uh, blow up the 12th man, which at this point, they are, there's nothing to blow up. The 12th man's non-existent. Yeah. But anyways, Saints struggled against Seattle. Uh, I, I'm expecting Tom Brady to pick them apart. Um, Bucks are going to show that they still rule that division. And Patriots Chargers, like – it's Mac Jones versus Justin Herbert. Uh, right now, Jones is out playing Trevor Lawrence as um, rookie quarterbacks in this class. So, two young ones going to sling it out. It's it's going to be a nice game. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to see Mac Jones and Justin Herbert. You know, we're going to see that that battle of tier two. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun one, and uh, that's uh, that Buck Saints game as well. Uh, Saints have a chance to really make make a statement of their own right um, if they can go into Tampa Bay and, and pull that off. Uh, and then that's uh, a that Cowboys-Vikings game could be a good one. Uh, full capacity, U.S. Bank Stadium on a Sunday night. Uh, Skull Nation's going to be rocking as much as I loathe saying that. Uh, Christian, I'm sure, will be parked in front of his TV with his Viking helmet on uh, <laughs> with the, the really annoying first down horn uh, ready to go. <laughs> Um, Ragnar will almost certainly be riding out on the motorcycle in uh, Wake Forest Demon Deacon fashion. Which, speaking of, we'll talk a lot about when we come back. Wake Forest is 7-0. and Can they run the table? And do they have a shot at the playoff? Playoffs? Wake Forest? We forgot they played football for a second. We'll talk about it after this. Back here on The Score with Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman joined by Will Higdon, Michael Davis, Garrett Davenport, a rotating cast of characters this morning. Christian Emery on with us earlier in the program. The Wake Forest Demon Deacons are off to their best start since 1944. They are 7-0, and they scored, count them, 70 points last week against Army. Army actually found a way to score more points than I think they've ever scored in their entire history uh, because they actually decided to throw the ball more than five times because they had to. Uh, Sam Hartman, three of his five touchdowns, six total, one of them was of the rushing variety, three of Sam Hartman's five touchdowns last week were for 70-plus yards. I mean, the way this offense is playing, granted it's, it's run as unorthodox as it gets with that mesh point thing, but it throws defenses off so much and when you've got the receiving core that this Demon Deacon team has, I mean, I mean, they sit at 7-0, and you look at the upcoming schedule. They've got Duke at home this week. Uh, Wake sits at a opens as a 17-point favorite, actually 16-and-a-half, but we're going to round up. Um, I don't think it's unfathomable to say they could run the table, but as far as, you know, do they, by some miracle of the imagination, have a chance at the college football playoff? 
we need to see them play Clemson and BC, uh, NC State, Clemson and BC. The the Duke Carolina games, meh. We got to see him play NC State, who beat Clemson. Then we got to see him play Clemson, and then the last game of the season at BC, a place that's been a house of horrors for Wake Forest in Chestnut Hill, like Syracuse has been. Um, they got the win up there barely, but uh, Alumni Stadium in Chestnut Hill on the campus of Boston College has been a house of horrors for the Demon Deacons for years and years now. No matter whether they're good or, or semi-good. Um, no matter what state they're in, they always go up there and it seems like uh, they forget how to play football. Um, I don't know. I've been watching this team for a long time. Uh, but I don't think it's unfathomable that you think they could run the table. But as far as chances at the college football playoff, we got we got to see them play those three games. Right. You know what, Brad? I think it's actually completely possible that the this Wake Forest team could make the college football playoff, especially if they go undefeated, 100% run the table. I, I think that's a possibility. You know, I, I don't think Clemson's the biggest test for them. NC State's the biggest test for them. They, they won't play Pittsburgh probably until the ACC championship game. Pittsburgh will probably be the best team they play outside of NC State in the ACC championship game because Pittsburgh basically has as a clear path to win the Coastal Division now, uh, unless NC State pulls a rabbit out of the hat. Um, so, yeah, again, I, 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 I'm going to hold serve and hold judgment on, on playoff chances until I at least see them play NC State. Um, fortunately for Wake Forest, that's a home game. Um, I think if it was in Raleigh, it'd be tougher, but they do have to go on the road those last two weeks to Death Valley and to Chestnut Hill, which both have been uh, houses of horrors uh, for Sam Hartman and Wake Forest. But Dave Clawson's bunch sits at 7-0 right now. I don't think it's unfathomable that they can make the playoff, but again, I'm going to hold judgment until I see those games. And their defense, I mean, against Army, it was it was a little questionable, giving up, what, 56 and see, points? And that's, that's my only question. You know, is the defense playing to the mindset of, okay, if we score 70 every game, do we even have to try on defense? Yeah, you do. Because I'll tell you what, that North Carolina Wolfpack offense, they got some weapons right there, uh, especially with uh, Devin Carter, who actually went to my high school. Well, well, actually down the road, the high school. So I don't know. I'm kind of hoping he does well. But, you know, that's NC State Wolfpack offense has a lot of weapons to it. And, you know, if, you, if your defense is playing, you know, giving up 56 points, could be, you know, might be a barn burner over there. There are only two remaining undefeated, three remaining undefeateds. Uh, as far as the top, excuse me, four remaining undefeateds as far as the top 25 is concerned. Oklahoma, San Diego State, SMU, uh, Wake Forest, and then there's two more actually. Uh, Michigan and Michigan State who will face off at noon today uh, in a mere hour-ish uh, on Fox. Georgia's undefeated as well, so there's technically seven. Uh, apparently, I don't know how to do math. Uh, that Michigan-Michigan State game, um, Michigan's a four-point favorite, but I think it would be more if that was in the big house. I think Michigan State's getting uh, a field goal chop-off on that line there because they're at home. And six versus eight, the two the two undefeated teams in the Big Ten, I mean, that's not only a battle for supremacy in that rivalry, but, I mean, whoever wins that game likely, A, goes on to win the Big Ten, B, Darn well, probably going to make the college football playoff. 
Oh, 100%. I mean, uh, dude, it's just, it's going to be a fun matchup, this one. And hopefully we don't see any botched punts this time around because that would be a wild way to finish it. But as you said, six versus eight, this one coming on at, well, 11 o'clock my time. I'm going to be rush, wiping the crust out of my eyes. So hopefully uh, <laughs> you're up early. You're, you're ready to go because we got a fun Saturday of football. And this one starts it all off. It's, it's going to be wow. You know, but at the end of the day, you know, do you trust Jim Harbaugh to, uh, especially on the road? I mean, this, yeah, he hasn't beaten Ohio State. This is, you know, the one of the bigger, big ones he's had, uh, in his time at Michigan. So if we're going to have any sort of hope that Jim Harbaugh can quote unquote win the big one, this is the time and the place and the spot to do it. This will really, you know, mark the legacy of Harbaugh. If he's able to win this game, I think the whole idea of Jim Harbaugh is not a, well, I wouldn't say not a good coach, but not a winning championship coach kind of go out the window. But if he loses this game, he loses another big one. I, I don't know what to think about his legacy at that point. Gary, I think if he loses to Ohio State again, it's already been pretty much been decided. But this is going to have a lot to say as well as to whether he sticks around after this year. Yeah, not to pile on with Brett, but like that Ohio State Michigan rivalry will be Harbaugh's legacy. Like you have to be Ohio State, and you know Michigan. This is a winnable game for Michigan uh, against the Spartans, the in-state rival. Um, they have a good run game that they can rely on, but it's probably going to be a low-scoring game, and it's going to come down to the last possession, and Harbaugh is going to have to coach his team through it. I guess my thing was also, I mean, obviously the Ohio State thing, of course, of course. But also his inability to win the big games when he needs to win the most, this is it. This is his chance. And I think really for me, in my personal opinion, if he doesn't win this game, it's, you know, where, where does Harbaugh go from here? Yeah, and we knew that going into this season was – Yes, Ohio State game was going to be the deciding factor as to whether or not he sticks around, but this is going to have a lot of say in that as well. Uh, we've got that weight game at 4. That's when that kicks off. Uh, Iowa-Wisconsin, another good game in that noon slate. Uh, Georgia's got a road test. They go at Florida, who sits at 4-3 and three right now, but still no slouch. Ugga, 14-point favorite going into that, but we know how tough a place to play the Swamp is. Uh, Baylor and Texas facing off at noon. That one could be good. Uh, Pittsburgh trying to move on up in the ACC, keep things rolling. They got Miami at home. Uh, Oklahoma might have to be wary of a trap game against Texas Tech. Uh, the last two times they've had an unranked team come into Norman, it's been really, really close. Uh, TCU and West Virginia both um, made for some pretty nail-biting moments uh, for the Sooner faithful. Uh, game of the day late or game of the night, I should say. Uh, Penn State, Ohio State, yep, that's going to be really, really good. Carolina and Notre Dame, yep, that's going to be good. But 10 Ole Miss, 18 Auburn, 7 o'clock on ESPN. Keep your eyes and ears peeled on that one uh, at Jordan-Hare because that one's going to be fun. That'll do it for hour one of the score when we come back. We still got a lot more to talk about. There's a World Series going on. The NBA is underway. Kyle Larson's dominating the NASCAR playoffs. There's still a lot more to unpack here on the score. Hour two starts in just a moment.
back here on The Score with Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside Will Higdon, Michael Davis, Garrett Davenport. Uh, special thanks to Christian Emery for joining us early on in the program to talk some hockey. Uh, but right now, let's talk Major League Baseball, guys. Uh, this is a World Series, and it was an LCS that was um, pretty darn exciting. Uh, the Braves are back in the World Series for the first time since 1999. The Astros in it for the third time in five years. Um, I think the only people that are rooting for the Astros are those that live in the greater Houston area. Other than that, the entire map of the United States is covered in Braves colors and a bunch of A's. Um, so, look, we, we know... We certainly know the the Astros' story. Uh, we know why everyone's rooting against them, but we also live in an area where uh, Braves fans almost certainly uh, rule the roost uh, here in this area of North Carolina. Um, Garrett, of course, now lives in the area of, of my Cardinal fans, but uh, that's a different story for a different time because I'm still recovering. Um, as for this World Series, it's uh, it's 1-1 going back uh, to Atlanta. Um, these have been an eventful first couple of games. We had a first. Uh, Jorge Soler, three pitches in. The first, first at-bat, World Series home run ever in the 118th World Series. I always say this about baseball. You watch it long enough. You watch it every day. You're going to see something you've never seen before. And we did. We saw just that uh, in game one. Braves let it wire to wire. They got the job done. Uh, Houston came back with a vengeance in game two. Um, So we're tied 1-1. Going back to Atlanta, and I, I think if you're Atlanta, you got to feel pretty confident you can, uh, if not, go back 2-2. Hopefully, you win, you know, you know, you make it, you know, 3-2 going back. Um, not down 3-2, but up 3-2 if it goes back. Ideally, you'd like to win three in a row here, but I think realistically, it's going to be three, two, somebody going. This is going back to Houston. This is the, to me. It's not an if it goes back. This is going back. Uh, I said it was going to go six. Um, seeing how uh, even these two teams played, going punch counter punch in the first two games, uh, I could see this thing going seven. It probably will go seven. And also, since that home run was like the first in history, are we going to call it a homer gummy? I am 100% for that. Dinger Gami. Dinger Gami. Dinger Gami. There we go. I like it. I'll probably start watching more baseball if that was a thing. Well, there's that's what I said. I mean, there's there's so much, you know, you watch baseball enough every day, uh, you're going to see something you've never seen before. And as much baseball as I watch, that happens on, on a pretty regular basis. But... Um, I don't, Will, let's bring you into this. I don't see any scenario in which the Braves pull this off. Also, their secret weapon uh, apparently was a clubhouse soft serve machine that they purchased after the trade deadline, uh, which they 100% won the trade deadline. Those four outfield acquisitions are certainly paying off. Eddie Rosario, I think, being the biggest surprise of any of them. But 
Um, you look at the additions that this team made without Ronald Acuna Jr. going out and basically remaking their outfield midseason. Uh, right now, even more so than we saw in the regular season, it is really starting to pay off. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think Rosario has been really solid for him. I think this this series will end up going seven games in down the stretch because these teams are they're just so evenly matched right now. I mean, you you look offensively, they're evenly matched. I mean, you look at uh, the bullpens. Um, Tyler Matzik uh, pitching out of his mind right now, coming into the bullpen for the Braves. Um, the Astros have always had a strong bullpen. Ryan Presley. Um, doing his thing like he has been doing. Um, so, yeah, like you said, I, I see absolutely no way this thing doesn't go seven games just because of, in in every single aspect, how even these two teams are. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be a really good series, but it's going to, it's going to go down to the wire. I don't I honestly don't know who's going to win at this point because and Braves took game one pretty handily, and then Astros came right back and took game two by a pretty good score. So it could really go either way. What yeah, makes- good. And go ahead, Michael. Oh, yeah. What makes Houston so dangerous is like any given night, they can put up seven, eight, nine runs, and you're looking in the fifth inning, and you're like, what's going on? Um, and what Atlanta's going to have to bounce back from is losing their ace, Charlie Morton. Which could be like a big blow in this World Series. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the weird thing about that was the other night um, when Morton took that line drive off the shin, he didn't really look like he missed a beat. He didn't look like he was in pain at all. Um, nobody from the Braves came out to check on him. Uh, he made those next few pitches, finished that half inning without anything really looking painful. And apparently he broke his fibula. So he broke his leg. Um, and I might add that even though they were down 5-1 to one at that point, he stood in there for 18 more pitches, got the final two outs of that half inning, sat in the dugout for a half inning on a broken leg, came back out, threw 18 more pitches, struck out Jose Altuve, the last two pitches, a 96-mile-an-hour fastball and an 84-mile-an-hour curveball that had a 12.2 spin rate on it. All this with a broken plant leg. Unreal, man. That dude is a soldier, man. I don't, I don't see how you can just, like, even standing on a broken leg is hard enough, but throwing a fastball, like, that's something else. Throwing it 96 and then getting enough on that plant leg to get the, the bend on that breaking ball oh, uh, yeah. to, to make a guy like Jose Altuve, who set the record for most home runs in, in postseason history later on in the game, that's, that's saying something, and that's a testament to the kind of guy that I, I you know I knew Charlie Morton was and other people are going to have to step up here it, it, it falls on max Fried and ian anderson um going forward here and it also falls on the bullpens as well but even so you're still going to have to to compete offensively when you lose your ace like that everybody's got to step it up a notch especially in a world series like this where every at-bat is going to be crucial, every run is going to be crucial, when these two teams are basically dead even in each other in every single category. Exactly. And how Morton was able to do that was he has grit. He was honed in on 
the goal in mind is to win this World Series, and each of those players are going to have to adapt that mindset for the games to come uh, if they're hoping to win their first World Series since 1995. That's 26 years. Like it, it is time, and if you know any Braves fans in the area, like they have been waiting for this moment for a really long time, and they're wanting it. Yeah, I mean, like we said, they haven't been there since 99. They haven't won it since uh, 95. 95, yeah. Uh, against the Cleveland Indians. Um, so <clears throat> this is a fan base that we know how passionate they are. Um, and this team has come out of nowhere uh, to make this run. Um, and they're they're on a mission. And this is an area that you know we we have to we have to acknowledge them, uh, but even the rest of the baseball world um, kind of wrote them off as okay. The NL East is very meh; it's not that great a division. But I mean, the Braves have shown that if you get hot at the right time, as they did later on in the year, great things can happen in the month of October, and that's what's happening. October into November, technically, but. We're we're gonna save that for another day. Um, final predictions. We 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 do see this going back to Houston. A B. I believe we're all in concurrence. This is gonna go the full seven. Yep, definitely. Yeah, Good seven's my pick. It's very rare when people agree with me, uh, but uh, I, I don't think any of us can uh, disagree with this because it's it's. I mean, it's just common sense at this point that it's gonna go seven. I uh, also think we want to. You you want a seven game World Series, right? World Series. Oh, even yeah. the even yeah. the casual baseball people want a seven game World Series because then they got a reason to watch. You hear the two greatest words in sports: Game Seven. Your eyes are glued to whatever it is, right? Oh yeah, it doesn't matter what it is: basketball, hockey, or baseball. Everyone's going to be watching the Game Seven. Absolutely right. When we come back, we'll dive into the world of basketball. The NBA is underway. We've got a lot to unpack after what was an eventful first week in the association to kick off its 75th season. We'll talk about all that when we come back here on The Score. Back here on The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside Will Higdon, Michael Davis, Garrett Davenport. Thanks to Christian Emery for joining us earlier on in the show. Uh, Fellas, there is a lot to dig into and unpack from what was an eventful first week for the NBA's 75th season. Oh, man, it it was a fun first week. I mean... I mean, I know we'll get into some of it, but how about the the Hornets, man? You know, Hornets best start. start ever. First time ever they've started three and zero. And there's a lot of guys that that we can look at and uh, and give credit to. PJ Washington pretty much single handedly won that opening night game last Wednesday against Indiana. Uh, but I, I, the guy I'm looking at so far is basically the player of the week. Uh, Miles Bridges was, of course, the Eastern Conference Player of the Week, but he played out of his mind. I don't think any of us expected Ish Smith to play at the level that he has been and getting the minutes that he has because of how well he's been playing. 
uh, in that Orlando game down the stretch uh, earlier in the week, LaMelo Ball went and told James Borrego, leave me on the bench. Don't take Ish out of the game because Ish is playing out of his mind right now. And when your star point guard says that about his backup, that only not that only not only says something about the culture of this team that we've talked about under James Borrego, but that just speaks to how well Ish Smith has been playing. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's home. You know, he's a Cabarrus County native um, from just outside of Charlotte and Concord, uh, Central Cabarrus County High School. Played at Wake Forest. Um, he's home and he's playing like you know. He never left. And you know what? Ish Smith has always been a solid NBA vet. But I, I, yeah, I agree. Like, he's never played at this kind of level. So, I mean, seeing him do this for Charlotte, he's been big time. And he's really the reason that they're, you know, we're able to win some games. So, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there, Brett. Maybe it's just because that hometown blood flowing in. He's in Hoop State again. Maybe that's what it is. But, uh, man, well, I mean, what a season so far for the Hornets. I mean, obviously, LaMelo Ball is started to become you know kind of an all-star form if we talk about right now almost averaging 20 points per game leads this team and assist this Hornets team is looking like it can do something here in the Eastern Conference yeah and don't forget that game against the Celtics they probably could have won that because they had like a 12 point lead in the fourth quarter but they let Boston come right back into it if they had held on to win that they could be undefeated right now yeah, and if you want to get your Hornets tickets and see them while that you can, I think the get them quick tomorrow. Get them yeah. quick. Yep, the Portland game tomorrow. Tickets are as low as nine dollars, and we're not going to see that come. Get January, the heck February. in there now. I mean, there's there's a there's I think there's a three game package with a Lamelo bobblehead um, that if you don't get it now, you are not going to get it at all. So. Uh, Limited edition bobblehead. Let's go. Yes, it's in the city jersey. That's not a thing this year, which I'm upset about. The one thing I've also upset the Hornets didn't do with that was make some kind of mint chip uh, promotional ice cream. But that's just me. That would have been a brilliant idea. Um, but then again, they don't listen to me for marketing. They listen to me for that what I'm doing right now. Great. Imagine sitting watching basketball games having that that ice cream. And now that I mean, you could have gone to a checkers game with it too. It would have fit there. Yeah. <laughs> All I know is LeVar Ball is really happy right now with his boys. LeVar, yeah, Lee, LeVar Lee. Ball's a prophet, dude. He called it. He's had he did. We, we all called him an idiot. But, oh, my goodness. I mean, look at Lonzo with the Bulls. The Bulls are off to their best start since uh, the last dance. So, LeVar is a czar. And, I mean, just looking at the Bulls real quick. I mean, look, they got them a squad over there. Lonzo, Levine. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, Vucevic, and don't they don't need don't no. on Vucevic. He's a double double guy his entire career. They got a squad over there in Chicago. I mean, we looked at them as okay, yeah, that's their new big three. But look, Vucevic, ten times not that marketing isn't talented, ten times the complete player that Laurie Markkinen never could be in Chicago. And Vucevic on the boards. I mean, that's probably like the number one thing. Laurie Markkinen, yeah, he couldn't really played defense and he wasn't much of a crash the glass kind of guy like Nikola Vucevic is. Vucevic, yeah, and Alec Alka stressed the floor. He has post moves. He can uh, right hook to the left shoulder. I mean, this dude, Nikola Vucevic, can hoop. He is a hooper 100%. And as I said, a double-double guy. He can do it completely on the floor, play defensively, offensively. He's a great pickup for the Chicago team. I was almost shocked that Orlando got rid of him in the first place. But, hey, I mean, 
the victor goes to spoils. There you go, Chicago. Now they got a squad, man. I'm telling you. Now, I hate to be the party pooper in this all, but we we are just leaving October. You know, today's October 30th. And, you know, at least in Charlotte's case, like, we'll see over the next week how t- good this team really is. They have Portland tomorrow. They have Golden State this week. And after the weekend, they have the Clippers and the Lakers. Um, who The Lakers aren't doing too hot right now, but, you know, we'll, we'll see where the season takes. I think with these also teams. with Chicago, I was looking at them a little bit earlier, they do not have a bench. I mean, sure, they got Caruso coming off of that, but other than that, they really don't go that deep. They do not have a deep roster. So when it gets to, uh, like like you said, Michael, when we get into December, when we get into January, where are this team going to be at? Where are their legs going to be at when they have to play those bench guys a little bit more? So, I mean, yeah, I, I think Chicago does have a squad. they got a solid starting five. But when you get deeper into the season, you know, how far can that starting five go? Yeah, which what when is uh, Kobe White expected to come back? Mid December? No idea. Mid November? No clue. So they'll have him back, but if you look behind Williams and Vucevic, there's nothing like big man, and the last thing you want to do is get dominated in the paint. And that's one thing you would know a lot about, Michael, as a as a fan of the Miami Heat, uh, a team that does a fair amount of work in the paint, and they're off to a pretty good start as well. They are doing really well. Um, I was on last week when we talked about their big win over the Bucks, but just looking at this team and seeing how well they gel, and the, the big difference is Kyle Lowry. Like, it is amazing to f- have a quarterback, which I love. I love Goran Dragic. How could you not love the Dragon? But when they went to Brooklyn this past week and just dominated, like Brooklyn had no chance, which I don't know why ESPN didn't air that in opposition to the Pelicans and Hawks. That's beyond me. But yeah, really impressive. Um, they had Charlotte last night. And like I said, you know, this upcoming week's going to be a test for them. They got Dallas on the road. They got Boston. They got uh, Utah and Denver uh, next weekend. So, you know, we're going to start seeing a little more sample size from all these teams. Um, but so far, so good. It's looking for the Miami Heat. It's, it's it's the reason they didn't broadcast that game. They had to show my man Ice Trey going off for thirty on ESPN. Come on now, don't play with him. Oh, I I will play with him when it's the Heat and the Nets, a potential Eastern Conference Finals matchup. Mm. Mm, that's bold. That's bold. Well, there's that. <laughs> that's bold. That's really if bold. the Nets are healthy. Let, let's just say that. Well, let's let's look at this too. James Harden has not been producing to the level that we know he can, and you know why? It's because that not shooting fifteen free throws again. Exactly. It's because that rule got cracked down on. You took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, and the kind of the same goes for Trey Young, but he's found a way to get around having to draw those fouls because I'm not going to lie, I'm a Trey Young fan. I know exactly how he plays. He played the same as James Harden, but with James Harden, is his game was based around that. And that is where his bread and butter was. And he kept getting those fouls calls. Now he's not getting them. Now he's not producing at the rate that we know he can. 
And, you know, KD is in a situation now where he's kind of doing it by himself. I mean, Kyrie also isn't playing. So these Brooklyn Nets, I mean, you talk about a finals matchup. I mean, maybe if they can get everybody healthy and James Harden finds a way to become back into form. But right now, I don't even see Brooklyn hitting the finals, the Eastern Conference finals at that. And still a playoff team, don't get me wrong. But Eastern Conference final, I don't know. I, I feel like that might be a stretch. Eh, yeah, I'm going to agree with that. And this is why we have Michael on for uh, pretty, uh, I'm not going to say extremely hot takes, but some that require a little bit of thought as to your motives behind them. Let's put it that way. We'll, we'll come back later. Again, like if the Nets are healthy, you know, I don't see them not making the Eastern Conference Finals, and at the very least, the Eastern Conference Semifinals, and which you still have to give respect to Milwaukee. But like we saw last year, the Bucks and the Heat were a first-round matchup, and the Bucks knocked off the Heat. I said who has ever win that series was going to win the whole thing. You know, it's just depend on how they match up based on how they did in the regular season. But Brooklyn could be, um, especially once we hit February with midseason form, a team who could be in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, that's fair. Also, I mean, I'm looking at this Eastern Conference right now, and honestly, I mean, at the start of the season, of course, it's only the start of the season, but it's looking pretty strong right now. I mean, New York is finally good. <laughs> of course, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Atlanta is right there at the eighth spot. But, I mean, this is a strong Eastern Conference. It was something we haven't seen in a very long time in the NBA. And, you know, it might switch. It might change by the time we get to midseason. But right now, I mean, hey, things are looking good for the East. Things are looking up for sure. And, and the East has always been, you know, the the uh, ugly stepsister, so to speak, uh, to the Western Conference. But this year might be different. Might be, might be. I hope so. I'm a big Eastern Conference guy, but the West, I mean, dude, they're they're still stacked. I mean, 100%. And even teams that we thought were going to be good are struggling this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you talk about uh, there might be a little bit of trouble when it comes to the Lake Show right now. Uh, you look at that Sacramento game also um, and how that turned out. Not Not where you want things if you're the big three there. They're I mean, gone. I haven't really gotten to see a whole lot of Lakers games, but I knew coming into the season that this big three was going to take some time to develop. So they're definitely not there 100%, you know, but it's not time to worry if you're the Lakers whatsoever. I mean, you're two and three. I mean, you got to figure out what kind of dynamic you have with Russell Westbrook, LeBron, and AD. So, you know, it's not time to panic at whatsoever. And, you know, there is a little bit of trouble in paradise there, but Russell Westbrook's really not playing to his best potential right now. So, man, I, I don't really know what's going on with the Lakers, but I'm sure they'll figure it out. I hope Coach Braun will figure it out. Should we start like a bet on how long this Russell Westbrook and LA I was going to say a, I was going to say a Lakers fan support group, but that works too because I, I am betting under a year and a half for the Westbrook experiment. He does not. He's not going to mesh well with LeBron or AD. It's going to be really sad, but also kind of fun to watch. Well, He's praying on Russell Westbrook's downfall. I'm just joking. But uh, Michael is coming for throats and heads. And look, I know it's spooky season, but I mean, I didn't think we'd have a slasher film remake on the show today, Michael. Jesus. But just at the think same of time. Oh, go ahead, Michael. 
just think about where Westbrook has been. And since like the big three um, with Harden, Durant, Westbrook, all before their primes, like who has he really helped like elevate in, you know, the playoffs or in the regular season? Like he had Houston and then he had the Wizards and now he's at LA. And it's just like none of these teams really want anything to do with Westbrook after experiencing him for a year. Like, he goes off for a triple-double, and when he's not on, he just keeps shooting himself out of it. And when you're a guy like Kobe Bryant, you can do that. But when you're Russell Westbrook and you're supposed to be facilitating to other stars like Davis and LeBron, it's, it's just not going to work. And I'm just – I wasn't a fan of that acquisition to begin with. My thing about Westbrook is that I don't think he can be a number two guy. He has to be – that's really what I thought the whole time. Is that he can't be a number two guy. He can't be the 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 Robin, the Scotty. I mean, he's either the Michael or he is, I don't know, Tony Kukoc. I don't know. But, you know, Russell Westbrook, he's either going to be the center point of the team or he's got to find a way to be a role player, more of a positional player and be that true point guard. And I just don't think he's in that mindset right now. He wants to be that guy and right now he has to stay take a step back and say hey lebron ad this is your team because i don't think a russell westbrook team that's led by him can actually even win a, a, an nba finals in my personal opinion just the way he plays he's got to find a way to kind of change his mindset granted he's a great player great athlete i love russell westbrook but again he's got to figure it out and you're saying this to a Lakers team who already has a facilitator. Like, they have Rajon Rondo. They have the youth in Kendrick Nunn if he can go off. Like, you know, they have their point guard. And, of course, like, LeBron can distribute. But Russell, Russell's going to dominate the ball like he always does. And it's, it's just not going to work. And I, I feel like LeBron and AD and the rest of the team are going to get frustrated by February. <laughs> I think uh, I'm going to go with the opposite direction. I think they'll start to figure out exactly how they work near February. That, uh, that's what I think will happen. I think really it, it depends on how Russell Westbrook views this team. And if he wants to win a championship, he'll take a step back, let those guys do the work that they need to do. And I think he will do that. I think he will uh, understand what kind of situation he's in. That's just my opinion, though. Like you said, he wants to be Jordan. And until he accepts the uh, Robin or whoever's third, uh, it's going to be the same story. But, you know, again, we'll see. We shall see. Uh, Good NBA talk, guys. Uh, Enjoy you guys coming on and and talking some association with us. As we said, eventful first week and uh, a lot more sure to come uh, in the weeks and months ahead as the NBA's 75th season is off and running. When we come back, we'll dive into the world of NASCAR with Will and uh, see what's going to happen this weekend. Final race of the round of eight. Two races left in the season total. We're coming down the wire. Can anybody stop Kyle Larson? We'll talk about it next. Back here one final time this morning on The Score with Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside Will Higdon 
And Will, there are only two races left in the NASCAR season. We've got the final race of the round of eight coming up at the Paperclip in Martinsville on Sunday evening. And uh, we've also got uh, Phoenix coming up as well. But uh, Kyle Larson won it again at Kansas. I don't see anybody stopping him right now. But the bigger question is... Who's going to get those last three spots of the championship four coming out of Virginia this weekend? Yeah, that's definitely one thing to watch. And I'm really excited because I'll actually be going to Martinsville this coming Sunday. So I'm really looking forward to this. Have you ever been there? Oh, yeah, I've been there. Okay, I was going to say, yeah, that's that's one that, you know, for NASCAR fans out there, it's close by. Um, It's about an hour and a half, two hour drive. It's not that bad at all. Um, and it's one you've got to mark off the bucket list because that is a track that's you don't just see a race. You, you get to experience a lot more than just a race there. Oh, yeah, and there's so much history at the track. It's the only track left on the schedule from the inaugural season. They have two dates. It's one of the short tracks on the schedule. It's just a really great track to watch, and I only live like maybe 30, 40 minutes away, so it's not even an hour drive for me. It's just a really great track and great place to watch a race. It is, and as you said, there's – so much history there. I mean, you know, you look at, you know, de- how desperate Dale Jr. was to win there. He wanted that grandfather clock trophy since he was a little kid uh, watching his dad win it. And uh, there's just so much history with that trophy, with that track. Um, it's great that a race of this kind of importance happens on a track with that much history, but also a track that's one of, if not the most technically challenging short tracks on the circuit oh yeah it's very very hard to drive because you're going from like 120 all the way down to like 30 40 miles an hour in the corners and i I speak from experience on this we with the carolina disco turkeys went uh to play up in martinsville and got a chance to visit the track and get driven around and uh the track employee that was driving us around was i mean when he came back in to give people their turns to get on the get back in, you could smell the brake rotors because he was doing 130 in a pace car and then breaking down to 40 miles an hour in the corners. So, I mean, you could see the brake rotors glowing, and that's the great thing about Martinsville having lights is you can see those rotors glowing inside the wheel wells, but um, it is so technically challenging. But if you lose any bit of that car, any part of that car goes away, uh, your chances go by the wayside, and we saw that. Uh, last year, uh, Chase Elliott had to battle to get there. But, you know, if you lose even the slightest bit of time, whether it's on pit road, uh, it loses the slightest bit, of, slightest bit of time with, with, you know, mechanical trouble, you're doomed. Oh, yeah. Track position in a track like Martinsville is very, very important. Because if you get if you make an unscheduled stop or you get caught back in traffic, you have to fight your way back through all of those cars. And that's going to take 30, 40, even 50 laps to get back to where you were. And, yeah, and I mean, do you have that kind of time? Yeah, but especially when, you know, we're going to be looking back and forth at the points board because this is an elimination race and only three can move on uh, to Phoenix to have a chance to take down Kyle Larson. I don't know how big a chance you are going to have um, to take down Kyle Larson because he's just, I mean, that whole team is just at a whole different level right now yeah, than anybody else in the sport. Yeah, I think... uh 
I think Larson will again be one of the favorites to watch at Martinsville, but the two guys that I'm looking at that can potentially challenge him is Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr. These two get Denny Hamlin has ran very, very well at Martinsville. In the Both those guys have a really good history at Martinsville. Oh yeah. Those are probably the two main guys I'm willing to look out for to try to make a run to try to get this win. Cause I think Truex right now is in the red. He would be eliminated. I think he might be in a must win situation. So He's probably the guy to watch out for. He's in a more desperate situation than Denny Hamlin is right now. So those are really the two main guys I'd look out for. Yeah, and, you know, as as much as Kyle Busch has to be viewed as a threat, as Chase Elliott has to be viewed as a threat, um, I agree with you completely in the fact that Denny and Truex are the two that we got to look at 100% because of their success at this track. Uh, Denny Hamlin has the, uh, in essence, the hometowner's uh, advantage, um, even though Richmond's closer to where he grew up. Uh, he has always run well at Martinsville, uh, even back to his very, very early on days. So, Oh, yeah, definitely. I think uh, yeah, I think he might have won there pretty early on when he was at Gibbs, but he's always ran there. He's always won, ran well there. And Truex has gotten a lot better on short tracks. Truex has gotten a lot, a lot better on short tracks. Um, And it's not that any of these guys that are left don't drive well on short tracks, but there's there's a certain level of separation when it comes to uh, the Truex and Hamlin and probably the Chase Elliott's of the world and the other guys that are left. Because we saw what happened the last time Logano and Hamlin tangled here. Uh, Logano doesn't have a very friendly history with this track, given what happened with him and Hamlin, and then the uh, the, the Kenseth uh, takeout. So <laughs> this is not a place that uh, Joey Logano is very fond of. This is a house of horrors for him. Oh yeah, I mean, there's a, I mean, dating back to 2015, you got the Kenseth incident, and then you have 2018 where he got into Truex to kind of steal that win from him. Then I think what was it last year or the year before last, where he got into Denny Hamlin. So, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of history with him at this track. Yeah, and like we said, it's, it's, has he won here? Yes. But it's, it has not come without incident or event any of the times that he's come here and been close. And now he and everyone else that's left, the other seven that are left for four spots, almost certainly, um, it's, it, it, it is a must win. Um, because you only have the three spots, so you, you can't count on getting in on points. You could fall back on that, but you can't count on that. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be definitely an interesting one to watch, for sure. There's going to be a lot of drama. I'm predicting, because um, there was drama in this last year when Kevin Harvick, he was trying to make it in, and of course he didn't make it in, but... Yeah, it's going to be one to watch. I think Hamlin and Truex are, are going to be the – Hamlin, Truex, and Larson are the, going to be my three favorites to win this race. Yep, and, you know, Larson, of course, I think has to be a favorite right now, but um, it, I, 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 see, I see Hamlin winning this. That's going to be my prediction. I see Hamlin winning this, and I see um, Elliott – and Truex getting in on points. That'll be your championship four. That's what I'm going with. Yeah, I think Hamlin could definitely pull off a clutch victory right over, right here at Martinsville. But if it's not him, 
it's probably going to be a Truex. So I'm, I'm thinking my final four prediction will be Larson because I've changed it since last week. <laughs> I think it'll be Larson, Hamlin, Truex, and Elliott. Yep, we're in agreement there. I've changed it since last week as well after some some introspection. But uh, yep, th- this is going to be this is going to be one heck of a race this weekend. Um, I know I know there's football on. Uh, I know there's. Uh, all kinds of stuff going on with sports this weekend, but if you have a chance to tune in uh, to this race, even for even for fleeting moments in the midst of the football and the World Series, um, this is a good one. If you're, if you're a fan of the sport or not, I guarantee you, you're going to be entertained. Oh yeah, definitely. It's definitely one to watch. That was actually this was the first race that I saw when I was a kid, and it it made me a fan when I was young then. So. It's never too late to start. It's always a great place to start, too. And NBC got really good ratings last week. Uh, outrated the F1 race at uh, Circuit of the Americas in Texas and uh, outrated some of the NFL games as well. I think over 2 million tuned in to um, the race at Kansas last week. So um, keep that up, NASCAR fans and, and you know casual folks and people that might just want to tune in and see what it's all about it at the most crucial time of the year for this sport. Um, there's no better time to to tune into what Fox touted and is really, I would say, turning out to be the best season ever. Oh, yeah, definitely. It plays into their marketing. They marketed this as the best season ever, so it's, we're living up to that. <laughs> for sure. And uh, speaking of NASCAR, I would like to give – a special shout-out to uh, two of the best drivers in the sport right now, one of which is still in the championship for Hunt. Um, but special shout-out to Ryan Blaney and Bubba Wallace. Um, as most of you know, especially from the intro of the show, I am a huge uh, metalhead. Um, James Jackson, who's on here uh, from time to time, is a huge metalhead as well. He's kind of my show-going buddy. Um and uh, Ryan Blaney and Bubba Wallace, uh, two huge metalheads as well. Um, Bubba more so than Blaney. Uh, Bubba's uh, big, uh, big-time buddies with uh, my favorite band ever. That's August Burns Red. Um, I think I don't know if Blaney's a metalhead too. I think Bubba kind of just took him along for for a, for a night out on the town in, in Charlotte at the Fillmore. But um, that was fun. Got to see Bubba. Uh, got to see Blaney. Got to meet them. Um, talk racing with them after the show, um, talk about, talk to Bubba about, you know, why this music helps him, uh, mentally and physically, why it's, uh, why it has such an impact on him as it does on, on all of us that, that enjoy that style of music. It's just, it's different and, um, it, it hits us all in, in different ways. And we, of course, we all have our, our niches and our genres that we like to go to that just happens to be ours. And, um, to have something in common like that with with somebody like Bubba that's uh, battled through all the adversity that he's, he's had to go through to get to this point um, and finally get that win at Talladega a few weeks ago, um, very rewarding for him, but also you know for for people like uh, James and I uh, to kind of pick his brain and be like, okay, we know why we love this. Why do you, uh, a NASCAR driver of all people, you know, love this? Because this is not something we see very often and. You know, it's incredibly cool for us, and it makes us feel, you know, that sense of camaraderie as well. Um, when you go to a, when you go to shows like that, and the fact that um, that somebody like Bubba was there and um, 
We got to chat with him. Uh, just, just incredibly cool. I want to not only give a shout out to them for, for being brave enough to come out to um, a show at the Fillmore in Charlotte, um, but uh, aside from that, I want to get a shout out to, to both of them for for being so kind and generous and, and great with the fans. There were a lot of people after um, uh, the band uh, August Burns Red said they were both there. Um, we knew Bubba was there. We saw on Twitter he was there uh, a couple hours before that. We didn't know Blaney was there uh, with him, but they were sitting in the VIP section. Um, again, Bubba's big fan, big friends with with August Burns Red, um, whose uh, lead vocalist actually plays hockey, by the way, uh, wore a Bruins hat on stage, which uh, James didn't particularly care for because he's a Flyers fan, but he had to deal with it. But um, again, I want to give a shout-out to, to Bubba and Blaney for... You know, a lot of times that can be a little bit overwhelming um, to deal with that many people um, coming up to you and asking for pictures and chatting with you. But um, I don't know how many of the other people there were fans of the sport. Um, but uh, James and I, of course, are huge fans of the sport. James is uh, involved in the media aspect of the sport as well. Um, and just to, to sit there and... Uh, and pick their brains was 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 a really really cool experience, and I want to give credit and and give a shout out to them for for being really really cool um, with with us coming up and 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 chatting not just music but chatting uh, chatting racing as well. That's going to do it for us this week on the score with Brett Wiseman. Special thanks to Will Higdon alongside me here, Garrett Davenport, Michael Davis, Christian Emery, our producer Desmond Johnson, everybody here at Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Thank you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you later.